For millennia, people from different countries, cultures, and backgrounds have found direction and encouragement in the inspired pages of the Bible. In his day, Jesus directed listeners to search the prophecies of Scripture to find Him the only way of salvation. 2,000 years later, as we stand on the brink of eternity, we no less need the purpose and hope God's Word provides. Sacramento Central Church brings you Receiving the Word, timely Bible messages presented by Pastors Chris Buttery and Mike Thompson. Amazing revelations await you in God's Holy Word, the Bible. We've been reading the last few weeks, and this is the close of our series, The Great Harvest, here this morning. We've been reading about 70 individuals in Luke chapter 10, and turn there with me this one last time, uh, Luke chapter 10, and the instruction that Jesus gave to these 70 followers of Jesus. And um, Jesus had gathered them together, uh, and he told them to go out and proclaim the good news. He told them that the harvest was what? Great. And he told them that the laborers were few, so they were to do what? Pray that the Lord of harvest would send out laborers, or we are called to earnestly plead that the Lord of harvest will cast out, throw out laborers into his vineyard. And so they were to pray as they were to work, that God would send more workers. Apparently, uh, their mission to visit and to minister to people was successful. After Jesus had sent them out, they came back. And the Bible says they came back happy. And they were encouraged because God had used them and God had blessed them. Notice in Luke chapter 10 and verse 17, and we'll have it on the, scri- on the screen as well. Then the 70 returned with what? Joy. The 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, the word joy is not a word that we often use in everyday uh, vernacular. The word joy used here carries with it a sense of calm delight or a type of holy happiness uh, as exposed to an exuberant uh, jumping up and down as is often suggested. Jesus used this word in three stories or three parables in Luke chapter 15, stressing the need for the rescued to go out and uh, to rescue those still in need of rescuing. He painted the picture uh, of heaven rejoicing, their atmosphere in heaven. He says, I saw, I say to you that likewise there shall be joy in heaven over one sinner who repents rather than, uh, than over rather, 99 just persons who need no repentance. There is what type of activity going on in heaven when someone repents? There is joy, joy in heaven. Now, Paul writing to the Thessalonian believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 21, he asked this rhetorical question. He said, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? And he continues by answering, Is it not you or is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For you are our glory and our joy. Paul was in effect saying that the conversion of sinners and their readiness for the coming of Christ brought him joy, this type of joy, this type of calm delight, this type of cheerfulness, you see. And this idea gets even more interesting when we find out what took Jesus to the cross there on Golgotha's hill, writing to the Jewish Christians. Paul uh, writes in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. What was it that encouraged Jesus to go all the way to Calvary's cross? Uh, It was the joy that was set before him, but what was that joy that was set before for him? It was you, and it was me, saved at last in his kingdom, you see. That was the joy, you and me, saved at last. The joy that was set before him, Jesus looking down, down through the ages, recognized that his sacrifice on Calvary was going to produce a harvest of men and women, boys and girls, ready and ripe for the picking, ready for heaven. And so that's what drove him to the cross. It was that joy you and me saved into the kingdom of heaven at last. Christ experienced joy, calm delight by putting himself out there to work in the harvest. And we are, and here we discover what makes God smile. When someone living a reckless life turns their hearts heavenward, God smiles. When a child prays, dear Lord, come into my heart, God smiles. When a youth realizes that he or she doesn't have all the answers and recognizes their need of Christ, God smiles. When someone chooses to place God above their own way, God smiles. When Jesus saw all those who would unreservedly serve him because of his tremendous sacrifice, he smiled. It says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross and he despised the shame. And you know that we know that Christ wouldn't have or didn't accomplish what he did had not the Spirit of God rested upon him. It was the Holy Spirit that led Jesus into ministry after his baptism. It was the Spirit of God that anointed Jesus to preach the gospel and to heal the sick and to set the captives free. It was all by the Holy Spirit. And this was the experience as well of the early believers. If you have your Bibles there, just turn with me to Acts chapter 13. Notice, before Jesus went back to heaven, he told the disciples to tarry in Jerusalem for the promise of, his fa- of the Father. And that promise would come upon them and they would be endued or endued with power from on high. Now, Luke, he made his point a little bit clearer when he wrote in the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he said, and you shall receive, go back to Jerusalem, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit is descended or is come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. So the disciples, along with others then present, were to receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and this would grant them the ability to become effective witnesses for Christ and His cause, not just once on a given day, but in their, uh, to be their constant companion. Jesus was to be their constant companion through the Holy Spirit and their source of strength always. Now, notice in Acts chapter 13 and verse 52, Luke records the experience of the disciples when they went out as Christ's witnesses. Notice Acts 13 and verse 52. It says, and the disciples were filled with what? They were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That's right. 
Now, Paul and Barnabas, they went out to preach the gospel, uh, and the Bible suggests that great power attended their work, insomuch that the Scriptures record that many believed, this is verses 48 and 49, that many believed, and that the Word of God was being spread throughout all the region. Now, if you read the story, Paul and Barnabas didn't have a cushy ride. It wasn't easy for them. They had some real challenges that they had to overcome. And they learned dependence upon the Lord through those challenges and through those struggles, you see. But the Bible says that they were filled. It was under these conditions that the Bible says that they were filled with joy and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, they were experiencing true joy out there in the Lord's harvest. Uh, notice how joy and the Holy Spirit were linked together there. They were filled with what? Joy and the Holy Spirit, you see. It's of no small significance that when writing about the fruit of the Spirit, the Apostle Paul includes joy as a part of the entire Christian experience. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 20, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. What's the second one? Joy. Joy. That's right. What is joy? Cheerfulness, calm delight, deep satisfaction. And Paul is writing that true joy is experienced when we are filled with the Lord of the harvest spirit, when we are put out into the harvest, you see. In other words, the spirit of God's desire, the spirit of God's desire is the same desire as the Lord of the harvests. When a believer is filled with the spirit, he or she is going to want to do the same things that the Lord of the harvest wants to do, you see. As the Spirit placed Jesus into the harvest, so too He will place us, if we are willing, out there into the harvest. As we pray, Lord, send out laborers and I give you permission to begin with me. Your experience, my experience is one of joy as well. And what makes God smile will make you and I smile as well. I do wonder, though, uh, whether the lack of soul winning in God's church today may be a result of the fact that some have not truly experienced the joy of salvation and fully understand what happens in the believer's life when the Spirit of God enters that person. I wonder, could it be that some of us don't bring people to Jesus because we are unsure of our own salvation? Could it be that some of us don't bring people to the truths of God's Word because we ourselves are lacking true conviction? Could it be that some of us don't bring people to church because we waver in our own commitment to Jesus and His church? Could it be? Now go with me to Luke chapter 10 again. Let's take a look here. Luke chapter 10. And I want us to read verse 17 and 18. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. For the joy that was set before Him, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Joy, true joy is connected when we labor in God's harvest, whether that be in our homes, whether it be in the workplace, wherever it be, we experience true joy. Look at this, Luke chapter 10 and verse 17 and 18. Notice, now the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now notice verse 18. And he said to them, that is, Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
Now, I'm not sure if you, you might connect the dots here. I'm not sure that this, it seems on the surface that these words, the disciples coming back, joy, uh, joyful and happy that even the demons were subject to them in the name of Jesus. And then Jesus seems to deviate and go off into another topic. And he says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. It doesn't seem to fit into the context, does it? Or does it? I want to quote for you from that monumental work, The Desire of Ages, one of my favorite books, uh, written by ins inspired author Ellen White. And she spoke of this very verse. And I want you to notice a couple of things. It's very interesting. Very interesting. She says here, this is Desire of Ages. And uh, let's see if I can get you the quote for that. It's on page number 490. Desire of Ages, page 490. She says, the scenes of the past and the present, when Jesus said, I saw Satan, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. She said, the scenes of the past and the future were presented to the mind of Jesus. He beheld Lucifer as he was first cast out from the heavenly places. So this is referring to when Lucifer was, uh, when he rebelled in heaven, when he took a third of the angels with him. We don't know exactly when that was. We know it was before the creation of the world, but it, was, it happened long ago, you see. But we can be sure that it happened and it came to place, and it came to a place where Lucifer, the once covering cherub, had to be allowed, uh, was allowed to do his thing. But God said enough was enough, and he had, before he completely ruined God's home, he asked Lucifer to leave. As a matter of fact, he didn't ask him. There was a war, the Bible says. And Lucifer and his angels, the dragon and his angels, we're told in Revelation 12, were cast out. So when Jesus, Jesus said, I saw Satan like uh, Satan like lightning fall from heaven. He thought about when Lucifer was cast out of heaven that first time way back when. She continues, he looked forward also to the scenes of his own agony when before all the worlds the character of the deceiver should be unveiled. He heard the cry, it is finished, announcing that the redemption of the lost race was forever made certain that heaven was made eternally secure against the accusations, the deceptions, the pretensions that Satan would instigate. What's she referring to? She's referring to when Jesus would what? Die on Calvary's cross. That's what Jesus looked forward to as well. He looked back to when Lucifer was cast out of heaven, and then he looked forward to his own suffering, his own agony, uh, referring to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10, when he would be cast out. It happened when Jesus died on Calvary's cross. Remember, Satan claimed to be the ruler of this earth after leading Adam and Eve into sin. But after the angels and the unfallen world saw to what length he would go to get what he wanted, then the angels, when the angels saw that their beloved commander-in-chief hanging bloody and upon that cruel cross, Satan was exposed for who he was and any affection they still had for their previous leader, that rebel angel was cast out. So when Jesus said he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, he saw him cast out of heaven and then he saw him being cast out of the, completely out of the affections of the unfallen angels. But she continues, beyond the cross of Calvary, with his agony and shame, Jesus looked forward to the final day when the prince of the power of the air will, be, will meet his destruction in the earth so long marred by rebellion. Jesus beheld the work of evil forever ended and the peace of God filling heaven. 
and earth. So, Jesus was always looking for, also looking forward to what time? To after the 1,000 years, right? After the 1,000 years when the new Jerusalem would descend and Satan would marshal his forces, all the wicked will be resurrected and he marshals his forces to one more time try to take the throne of God because that's what the devil has wanted all along. But before the fire comes down from God out of heaven, you see, before it comes down, something interesting happens. Something happens that causes everybody, both saved and the lost, those inside the city and those outside the city, to bow their knees in humble recognition that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, for the saved, it has become a part of their, the pattern of their lives to bow down before Christ. So for them, this is a heartfelt response when they bow down. It's something that they've always done and it's something they'll do forever. But for the lost, they bow down because they recognize that they are completely deserving of what they are about to receive. Satan again falls from his self-promoted position, but this time, it's the last time, and the fire comes down, and the devil is cast into the lake of fire, and that is it. No more devil, no more sin, no more evil, done and finished. So in summary, when Jesus said that he saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven, he was referring to Satan's eviction from heaven long ago. He was referring also to the eviction from any affections or attachment the angels in heaven may still have toward, I felt toward Lucifer, and also to his final demise and destruction. But what have any of these got to do with the 70 and their joyful experience after, being, after going out into the Lord of the Harvest Vineyard? Ellen White concludes, page 490 of Desire of Ages, henceforth, Christ's followers were to look upon Satan as a conquered foe. Upon the cross, Jesus was to gain the victory for them. And that victory, that victory, he desired them to accept as their own. Man, did you get that? Christ's victory is to be our victory, you see. The 70, they returned with joy, and that joy was in due part to the fact that the devils, the, the imps were being made subject to them in the name of Jesus. As Christ had power over the devils, so did they. It was in this context that Christ saw Satan fall, which I think informs us uh, about a lot of things here. It tells us that each time I choose Jesus' plan for me, each time I choose his unselfish ways uh, more than my own selfish ways, Satan is being knocked off his self-important perch. And that's a pretty incredible thought. It seems to me that when I follow God's will above my own will, Satan is reminded constantly of his end. Now, I don't know anybody who wants to end up doing the will of the devil, whose desires is to be Satan's captive. But people do fall prey into his clever trap, which is invariably baited always with something good. And something that looks like could come uh, and we could enjoy with just a little compromise, just a little compromise. The lure may be the uh, promise of sensual pleasure or just a chance to feel loved. 
The lure could be the chance to get ahead and get out of a jam or just a little lie or a little compromise of your integrity. Maybe the devil is tempting you with what looks like the advantages of leaving your marriage, the satisfaction of getting even, or the relief you'll get from abandoning a commitment. The devil's basic strategy is really pretty simple. Get you obsessed with the prize you might get so that you are blind to the trap that you're walking into. He'll convince you it's just once. It's just a little. It won't hurt. But those are all big, fat lies. Perhaps he's got some of us rationalizing work on the Sabbath. Perhaps he's got someone focused on making their unbelieving spouse happy to a fault where they're not serving the Lord as they should be. Maybe he's got some of us obsessed with not wanting to be lonely and we end up in a relationship that's not good for us at all. You know, you will not ultimately get, you won't ultimately get what the devil is suggesting you might get, the satisfaction, the love, the excitement, the relief. It's just Satan's bait to take you captive and ruin everything he can in your life. He'll promise you anything if he can just get you to walk into his trap. But Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. You see, every time you say no to the devil... Every time you step aside and out away from his trap, guess what happens to the devil? He falls. That's what happens. Each time you make a wise choice and don't follow your feelings, he falls. Every time you get a handle on your emotions and act more like Jesus, the devil falls. When you admit to a mistake and you seek to fix it, he falls. Each time you stand for truth, you do the right thing, the smart thing, the best thing. He is, the devil is humiliated and this, he is losing his influence in your life. He falls. Each time the devil falls, God smiles. God delights in your victories. God is happy when you stand under pressure. God delights in your self-sacrificing love and service. God smiles. But why do we settle for less when the best is there just before us? C.S. Lewis once wrote something interesting. He said, our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what it is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Are you too easily pleased and drawn into the devil's traps? But remember this morning, Jesus' victory is to be yours. There is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. When the 70 experienced victory in the harvest field, The sick were healed, the Bible says. The captives were set free from out of their prison houses of sin. They loved instead of hated, gave instead of received, sacrificed instead of hoarded. They came back rejoicing. They came back rejoicing. In this rejoicing, Jesus saw the demise of the devil. Now, I I know we don't often think about it this particular way, but when we make ourselves available... And this is so crucial. When we make ourselves available to be used 
by God, whatever way He sees fit, in allowing Him to do whatever He wants to do in our lives, according to how He's equipped us, according to the gifts He's given to us, for the eternal betterment of humanity, when we are engaged in ministry and doing what doesn't come naturally for most of us, guess what happens? Satan knows that his end is near. If you want to let the devil know that his end is near, we ought to get working. What do you say? We ought to be involved in God's service to some extent. What do you say? If you want to remind the devil that his end is near and that he's going to fall and fall permanently, we've got to be involved in the service, in the harvest of the Lord. True joy is not found in self-gratification, but in self-sacrificing love that is expressed in deeds of kindness, in acts of mercy, and a passion to win somebody to the Savior. Satan's end is in sight when God's people remove every barrier from doing the doing of God's will. So why? Why would we hesitate? What about you? Do you want true joy in your life? When one gains Christ's perspective on the world, that the harvest is great, and when we recognize that there is a problem, that the laborers are few, And once we begin to pray that prayer, Lord, I plead, send out laborers into your harvest and and you have permission to begin with me. Then and only then will we be able to experience true joy in our lives. Now, Jesus concluded his teaching in Luke chapter 10 by reminding us that we will find our greatest joy of all, and that is in a personal relationship with him. Notice Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this. This is hyperbole. Do not rejoice in this. Yes, go ahead and rejoice in this. But don't find your ultimate satisfaction in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rather rejoice because your names are written where? Your names are written in heaven. Is it wrong to rejoice when we see the Lord of the harvest working through us in wonderful ways? No, that's not at all, no. We can experience true joy when we see the Lord of the harvest accomplishing wonderful things through us, but our greatest joy comes from knowing Jesus, who is eternal life. When you serve the Lord of the harvest, you also bring joy to the heart of Jesus himself. Immediately after seeing the joy of the 70 and hearing of their exploits of putting a dent in the devil's kingdom, notice what Luke records in verse 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit. That's right. Jesus rejoiced, which I understand literally means jumping for joy. Jesus' heart was jumping for joy when he saw his children happy. He saw his children joyful, satisfied because they were in the Lord's harvest. Yes, facing challenges. Yes, facing difficulties, but experiencing true joy from seeing individuals turn their lives over to Jesus Christ and be saved in his kingdom at last. Jesus, it says that in that that hour, Jesus rejoiced. When you respond to the appeal of Jesus, giving God permission to harvest through you, he experiences joy as well. What a great thought. You want to bring happiness and joy to the heart of God? Then experience what it's like to serve him and minister for him. Some of you are, many of you are, some of you, 
you know there's some things you need to do. You know God is calling you to certain things and he's asking you to work in his harvest. What a great joy, a great thought to recognize that I bring joy to the heart of Jesus. I bring a smile to the face of God when I serve him with joy, filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you want to respond to that call now? Lord of the harvest, send out laborers into your harvest and I give you permission to begin with me. We're so glad you decided to tune in to today's Receiving the Word program. To discover more about the Bible, we'd like to invite you to enroll in our free online Bible studies by visiting saccentral.org and click on the Media Resources tab. To listen to other life-changing Bible messages from Sacramento Central Church, go to youtube.com forward slash The Central Connection or visit us Saturday mornings at 1050 a.m. for a live worship experience at 6045 Camellia Avenue across the street from Sacramento State University. We look forward to seeing you there.